I wanted to share my story today simply to testify to God's enduring love to show Himself so faithful to walk with us every step of the way in our lives. We don't get to know what lies ahead or what's next in our story, but we have a God that is so, so faithful. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you a super interesting story from Farrah Newman in Jackson, Mississippi. And she was a medical missionary, and this the whole thing was so fascinating. Oh, me. it really was. I mean, and it speaks directly to the faithfulness of God. She talks about that throughout her story. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to have some questions in her story that she doesn't answer as she's telling it. But then she does answer it in the questions and answers there at the live gathering. And we're going to be airing those. So be sure you listen to the very end of her story as well. Farrah's story is a perfect one to kind of just kick off the holiday season of just leaning into God and um, and knowing that He is faithful. I'm excited, too, to say for our Patreon members, this Friday, the Dig Deeper audio devotion is all on the faithfulness of God and how sometimes He uses His faithfulness to increase ours. And so if you're not a member of Patreon, follow the link below in the show notes. You can click on there and join. And if you are a member of Patreon, thank you so much for supporting us. And that will be in your feed on Friday. Here's Farrah. Before Farrah's story, we do want to remind you that the end of the year is coming. If Storytellers has spoken to you this year, we invite you to give to our ministry. You know, our mission is just all about sharing stories of hope in Jesus. And you know that we celebrated our one millionth download this year. We are continuing to see stories shared in other countries around the world where women are finding hope in Jesus. We are sharing the gospel at our live gatherings and really introducing Jesus and the power of having a relationship with him. And so we ask you to partner with us in that mission. Go to our website at storytellerslive.org and click the donate button and give to our ministry today. One of the goals we have in 2023 is to get more recurring donors, people that give consistently to storytellers. And so we invite you to partner with us in that mission. So you can click the link in our show notes or go to our website at storytellerslive.org slash give. Thanks so much. And here's Farah. Okay, so good morning. Before I start, I want to tell you that um, I'm super humbled to be here. I'm humbled to tell my story. I'm humbled to tell God's story in my life. And I'm even more humbled that you're here with me to want to listen to my story. I also want to say that I'm so excited and that I really am full of joy that God's given me this chance to stare, to look back over my life and to share with you what God's done in my life and to re- just reflect of God's goodness and His faithfulness and His graciousness in my life. But I'll be completely vulnerable with you to tell you that I'm also the most nervous and anxious um, about this than I've been about any other opportunity God's given me in the past. I've talked to God about this all week long, and I'm not sure all the reasons why, but I'll tell you that I need Him this morning, and I'm going to trust that He'll be with me. My name is Farrah Newman, and I'm an ophthalmologist here in Jackson, Mississippi. I have four beautiful children, and I'm married to the love of my life, Troy, who is also an ophthalmologist here in town. And looking back over my life, I have to say there were many places of uncertainties and unknowns and even turns in the path that I didn't and couldn't have predicted. Some of those uncertainties um, I had no say in and others were by choice, I guess, so to speak. 
but God was always working and weaving a story of his redemption and his goodness throughout my life. To start from the beginning, I grew up in Columbus, Mississippi, and at three years old, my father left my mom and I, and from there forward, my family life was just the two of us. Many of you know my mom. She lives here in Jackson, Mississippi now. She was a very hard worker, and in my growing up, she fought very hard to make life for us, despite being young. And even against all odds, she graduated college. She even obtained a master's degree after years of going to school at night, after doing a full-time job during the day. My father never reappeared, and I came up through my childhood without a dad. I never knew what it felt like to have the love or embrace of an earthly father. But when I was 13 years old, God started redeeming my story. He pursued me. He fought for me. And in every way, He rescued my life. At that young age of 13, um, I was living in a little neighborhood in rural Columbus, Mississippi, and there was a small church around the corner in my neighborhood. And on my many walks home from school or from the bus or from a friend's house, I would pass by this little church over and over. We didn't attend church at all at that time as a family, and I didn't know a sole person in that church, yet I was so drawn to go to that church. Again and again, it just kept coming at me that I was so drawn that I wanted to go in. I remember that gut-wrenching nervousness and just the uncertainty and the unknown of walking into that church all by myself. But one day I did it. I walked in by myself. And in looking back, in all reality, I wasn't alone. God was with me that day. And He surrounded me with the most loving people. He put adults around me who loved me right where I was at that young age. I remember that they never asked questions about me being there by myself, and they never judged me. I just remember instead that they shared with me about God the Father's love for me. That love that I was missing from my dad, my, my Heavenly Father, had for me abundantly remor- more. And I remember being so overwhelmed by His presence and love that one day in a little small Sunday school room with those adults who had loved me so well, and welcomed me in. I remember in childlike faith, just whispering um, to God, my Father, with all my heart, God, I'm yours and you are mine. And the truth of Isaiah 43, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name and you are mine, became real to me and it became my heart's security from there forward. I attended Wesley Methodist Church all through my high school years. It's a small church in Columbus, Mississippi. And I was always there if the door was open. Honestly, it's where I wanted to be. And I, again, had youth leaders who earnestly invested in my heart and growing my love for God and the things that He loved. Looking back, God was holding me so close through those formative teenage years, protecting me, loving me, and He was molding my heart, though I couldn't see all that He was doing at the time. I went on my first mission trip when I was 16 years old with that church youth group. And though I can't to this day remember all the details of that trip, I remember my heart was all in, and I remember praying and begging God to use my life for His purpose and plans. I attended Mississippi State University for college, and there was one thing I did know going into college, and that was that my heart's desire was to become a doctor. I wanted that since I was a very young girl. I always felt it since about fourth grade, and it's always what I wrote about when those questions of what do you want to become when you grow up questions came around. But getting into medical school was not easy. There were ups and downs, 
And the reality is, it's a very ambitious aspiration. My background wouldn't have spoken so much for my life becoming a doctor. And I remember facing a period at one point where it seemed very uncertain if I would get to become a doctor or get, ever get into medical school. And I remember wrestling with God about it, praying for discernment. I even looked into other occupations, but my heart never wavered. My desire never changed. And this was one of the first times in my life I remember being desperate for the Lord to move in the uncertainty ahead of me and learning to choose to surrender to God and His will over my life. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart, became my prayer and my heart's cry, even as a college student. And I remember telling, telling God over and over that if I was graced to become a doctor, I would use it to love others with the love that God had given me. Fast forward sometime. I did attend medical school at UMMC here in Jackson, Mississippi. And during that time, I met my husband. We married at the end of my fourth year of medical school, and we both entered training to become ophthalmologists. God was so present in so much of my story during that time, but for the sake of time, I cannot share it all. We had three baby boys over the next six years, while also completing our residency training, and my husband completed a fellowship year in glaucoma at UAB. By 2011, we were a family of five with three thriving young baby boys and we're establishing and growing our medical practices here in Jackson, Mississippi. Over the next four years, though, God would call us out of our comforts and our norms in ways we would have never expected. And He would ask us to put uh, our first big yes on the table. In 2012, God was stirring mightily in our hearts toward adoption. And though we had what seemed, and even we thought of as a perfect family with three healthy children, it was an undeniable calling that Troy and I couldn't say no to, to love beyond our own, and to bring a child into our home that needed a family. I'll be honest, this is a hard part of my story to share. This was a heartbreaking season for Troy and I. The years and the stories of lost and almost were too numerous to count over a four-year time. The hopes of a child we thought would be ours to hold were dashed over and over. We held on to hope for any child that God would have for us, any race, boy or girl, we even put dossiers into two different international countries over that four-year period. I cried more tears than could be bottled up in that season of my life. My heart was all in to where we knew God had led us. We didn't understand the way things were going or why they were going. Why wasn't God answering? How long would we wait? I even remember pleading with the Lord to let the desire for this child leave our hearts so we can move on and not hurt anymore. But I see now that He was teaching us to wait on Him and His timing. That waiting was not passive, but an active choice of the heart and mind to let go of our control and find rest in Him alone. We were learning to love Him more than we loved the answer to our prayer. And He was preparing us, though we didn't know at the time, for another yes that was to come that would require even more surrender than we had ever known. During the same four-year time, our medical practices were growing, and my husband had secured his place in his career. A booming practice as a bought-in partner is what you dream of after years of medical school and residencies. We were secure by all standards, and we loved our jobs, and we loved taking care of our patients here in Jackson. We were navigating the adoption process with highs and lows, but we were also finding a love for short-term missions. 
God was so intentional to send us together on our first mission trip in 2012 to a severely impoverished area of South Africa called Sweetwaters. Choi and I were there together, and we were both taken back by what we saw, the immense poverty and sickness of vast numbers of people, lacking everything, even the basics of life, like food and water and shelter and basic medical care. You can say we were both changed at our core that week. Coming back to America, our eyes could not unsee what we had seen, and our hearts could not forget what we had seen. We took every opportunity God gave us to go and serve during this next season of time. Every time we went, God building our faith, drawing us in, and growing our love for the nations and our passion to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to the suffering. In 2015, we hit a pivotal point in our lives, a climax, so to say, in our story. Yet it was a crossroads and an unexpected turn. Her adoption journey came to a screeching halt. And after going through a devastating miscarriage, and many, almost, our babies through adoption, I found out I was pregnant. I could not fully comprehend at the time how lovingly and faithfully God, my Father, was giving me the desire of my heart for this child, a child I had longed for and waited and pleaded for. God was redeeming my heartache and my pain in the journey, and a beautiful baby girl was coming. God was also calling us out for my secure and stable life we had built. God had been at work all this time to prepare our hearts for this day. This conversation that Choi and I would have on a Sunday night in our driveway at the end of a date night. <laughs> it started with my husband courageously sharing a calling he felt God was leading our family into. It was a calling to go and serve with the skills God had given us, but in a different way than we had before. He's calling us to leave our life here so we could be all in and present in a place where He would send us. Looking back, it was a crazy conversation, but my heart was so ready to receive it. I remember after hours of talking and praying in that driveway together, the only words I could find to say, the only words my heart wanted to say was I couldn't imagine us doing anything different. And that night the journey began. That night, we let go of 17 acres that we had a contract on that was a dream of ours to build a home on. And in the coming months, my husband would let go of his practice. He would release his partnership, undoing the financial security we had been accustomed to. <laughs> we were not sure where God was sending us in the beginning, but we had no doubt He would show us in time. In November of 2015, through a connection we had with Samaritan's Purse, Choi took a vision trip to a rural hospital in western Kenya. It was Thanksgiving week, and I spent the holiday with our boys, who were nine, seven, and three, and our baby girl, who was just six, six weeks old, praying for God's will for our family. Choi returned from that trip with so much revelation and certainty. I remember him coming back, and his words were, This is the right time. This is the right place. And I'm certain that God will move mountains to have us there by summer of next year. It's hard to explain this peace and the stillness in our spirit in those months ahead and preparing to move to Kenya. So much had to be logistically done to undo our life here, all which required us letting go and trading in all our knowns for a lot of unknowns. Yet there was no angst inside of us, no regrets, 
And by God's gracious hand, we had no doubts along the way. And God surely did move mountains in that next six months. All the things that had to happen in order for us to go did happen. Our house, cars, our belongings, they all sold, helping to provide a base for the needed funds we would need to live there without income. God in His faithfulness in that season answered a million prayers. He provided for our every need. And in August of 2016, we packed up what we had left in 23 luggage bags. We said really hard goodbyes to our family and friends. We moved to a rural village in Kenya called Bomet to serve at a hospital called Tin McMission Hospital for two years with our precious children whose ages at the time were 10, 8, 4, and 10 months old. We faced many uncertainties in the days ahead. I'll never forget that daunting feeling one day in our first weeks in Kenya and looking down at my wallet, and it hit me that not a single card in there had any meaning or power to help us. Not my driver's license, not my credit card, not my health insurance card. It was just all plastic that didn't work. And very on, we also faced one of our worst fears. When our baby girl became severely ill, and with our limited medical abilities at our rural hospital, we couldn't figure out what was wrong with her, and we couldn't get her better over several months' time. During our time in Kenya, we faced many unknowns and uncertainty in almost every realm, from our family life to caring for our patients in the hospital. There's a motto written all over and throughout our mission hospital that reads this, We treat Jesus heals. And this became a real reality to us. We did witness earthly miracles of healing when we were at the end of all that we could do medically. I'll never forget a young boy named Emmanuel who had a severe eye infection that had spread to his brain. This was very early in our time at Tenwick. I think God was so intentional in showing us this very early on and giving us Emmanuel to teach us. But Emmanuel was very, very sick, and he was declining every day. And it became very certain that we were going to lose Emmanuel and that Emmanuel was going to die and that we could not save him. Troy specifically had tried everything, surgeries, medicines, anything we could get our hands on. He had taken him back to surgery several, several times. And on one morning, Troy was just completely devastated. He was mourning, struggling, and just praying at the bedside of Emmanuel. One of our dear Kenyan friends, who was a nurse, came to the bedside and asked Troy why he was so stricken. Why was he so heavy, so burdened? And Troy, I remember Troy telling me, he said he felt so desperate and he felt that all his purpose in coming was just not coming to be. That God had sent us and had us leave everything and come all the way there from America with all of our American skills in order to help. And here it was, very early in, with one of our sickest patients, and he couldn't do anything to help Emmanuel. But it was very pivotal in our early years, in that early time for those two years, for God to show us. And Leah gently reminded us that God didn't send us to heal or to save our own hands. He sent us to bring God's love and hope to this young boy and to others that would suffer in front of us and in our hands to give them hope of eternity, even if the hope of life here was not to be healed. What we saw daily during our time in Kenya was very hard. 
The poverty around us was overwhelming. Our friends and neighbors suffered daily. These were not just people or names. They were our closest of friends. There were so many of them, there's no way that we could help them all. The lack of food and clean water was reality for all the people we loved. Not just some of them, but every person, every family, for every village that we could go to. The sick were so very sick, and the blind were so very blind, having gone far too long before finding a way to our hospital. In our years in Kenya, tested our dependency on God in every way. Where would we look to for our security and our protection? All that we had known as far as a safe home, insurance, all the securities that we had earthly were gone. Where would we look to for our help? Because we got to the end of ourselves so many times and there was nothing that we could do to help our situation or help someone else's situation. And where would we look to as American physicians for healing? We are so accustomed to knowing what to do, having resources that could help, for healing to look like that it was happening in our hands. But now we're at a place where we came to the end of ourselves daily, where there wasn't enough of anything. There wasn't enough medicine. There weren't the right scans. There weren't the right treatments. Where would we look to for healing to come? And where would we look to for encouragement and strength? Because all we had known here through our Bible studies, our Tuesday morning Bible studies, and even our Sunday morning services, that we never really realized how much they strengthened and renewed our spirits each week were gone. We had to learn that God was enough and that God was everything. And our dependency on Him was our everything. We grew in faith like never before. And the most beautiful part were the Kenyan believers that were around us serving in our mission hospital. Their faith was so strong. And in the midst of such hardship, they kept their eyes on God and they knew where their help came from. This stretched us in ways that I can hardly put in words and it built our faith daily. We did grow in our dependency on God alone to carry us through. And not only that, He brought us great joy in the midst of it all. It was hard, but He gave us joy beyond measure. And looking back, I think about that same Father who rescued me, who scooped me up and saved my life at that 13-year-old age in that little church and in that unknown place. And I say that it was the same Father that scooped up my family time and time again throughout this story. And the same Father who scooped up so many of the people and patients hurting and suffering around us when we lived in Kenya. I wanted to share my story today simply to testify to God's enduring love to show Himself so faithful to walk with us every step of the way in our lives. We don't get to know what lies ahead or what's next in our story, but we have a God that is so, so faithful. He will never leave us. and He will never forsake us. The times of unknowns and uncertainties in our lives really can strip away a lot of our false securities and can leave us looking and longing for our Father's arms alone to carry us through. And our Father promises that we will find Him always when we seek Him with all our heart. He is such a good, good Father, a perfect Father whose love never fails us. In Psalm 100, verse 3 through 5, 
Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I always think it's so interesting to hear from people who live in other countries, other cultures, and you just find yourself with so many questions of what was it like? What was it like taking your kids? You know, what was day-to-day life? And so thankfully, like we said in the beginning of the episode, people in the room were equally curious and asked Farah a lot of questions. And one that I wanted to know is, what is it like with your kids and re-entry? And you're going to hear the ups and the downs and the hard. And also what was really funny about what her kids, you know, thought of being there and coming back. And you can listen in to what it was like. That coming back was extremely hard too. <laughs> it was hard in a different way. But I think for us, our year, our year back was much harder than our year going. By that time, uh, the boys were 12, 10, seven and then my little girl was three we just really not touched american soil that entire time as much as you could possibly as american become culturized to the kenyan way of life we were completely and the first part was just completely shocking just literal culture shock just in the the vastness of what was available and you wouldn't think that because we I mean, I lived here my whole life, but, you know, I was gone for two years. But just not having access to that and just living in such extreme difference of just the minimalness available and the simplicity of life was truly um, shocking to our systems. I can remember coming back, coming to the very first airport that we hit, which was in Dubai, and we just were taken back literally almost breathless you have to walk through this like center market purposely so that you'll buy things and it's all of the highest end things and it's glamorous it seems like las vegas it was really just more than we could honestly take in um it was you know we kind of just couldn't breathe and kind of hit our knees when we got to the other side of it and we were just like how could it be like just how could it be that there's this in the world and then there's that in the world like how is it so extreme on the difference i remember walking into the hotel room that night because we're staying in the airport hotel for a flight out the next morning and my seven-year-old they were super excited to be in a hotel room. That was something we hadn't experienced in a long time. And he took his shoes off and he went to run to, you know, jump on this like fluffy, nice bed. And he kind of stopped in his tracks and just hit the ground. And he was just like laying there, just like make, like making snow angels, you know, kind of vision. And, and I was like, Nicholas, what is it? What is it? And he was like, Mama, Mama what is this? What is this? And it was carpet. It was just carpet. I love that precious picture of the snow angels <laughs> and the, <laughs> the carpet. carpet. It's just carpet. Can you, but, yeah. I mean, again, we're, we're in the land of plenty. We're in the season of plenty. Mm-hmm. This story spoke to me because 
number one, I can't imagine saying, hey, kids, we're going to go live right. in Kenya. Yeah. Um, but then also just that precious picture of something simple like carpet. Mm-hmm. Can we all be thankful for carpet today? Yeah. <laughs> one of the questions I had about Farah's story was, tell me more about the daughter. What happened to the daughter? Because she mentioned that she right. got so sick. So here's the answer to that question. So that was our first three months in Kenya in August, September, October that she was so, so very ill. And she was such a little baby. And that's a desperate place to be when you're in the middle of nowhere. And I know we went there to like serve them in that way when they have nothing, but when it's your own that has nothing, (laughs) it's a whole other place, you know? When you're like, whoa, wait, 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 now my baby doesn't have um, the right antibiotics and we don't have the right test. And what do you mean? I can't get a a CT scan of her? Wait, wait, what? That hit in a a whole different way. We had a long-term missionary pediatrician that lived with us at Tenwick Mission Hospital. But just because of the lack of any kind of testing and blood work and couldn't do renal ultrasounds, we just, they just couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And she just, she would just keep like 104 fever, like for three months straight. And then we would like give her antibiotics, you know, that we could find by mouth and she would get better for like three days. And then it would spike again, even being on the, on the medicine. Then we had a visiting pediatric internist from Boston come over for a week to serve and she just examined her looked at her did some blood work like a CBC all this the whole thing was just so traumatic like they um, wanted to get a urine sample but they don't have the little catheters that you would do she's again like 11 months old and so they had had to use like a non catheter to, to get this and she had trauma down there it was just the most gut-wrenching thing ever but that sweet doctor told us that after she'd watched her all week long, she was just like, I'm really, really worried about her. And she even threw out the word like leukemia. And I was like, I can't take this. And so she told us that on a Thursday. And this was three months in. And I'll just tell y'all, God was so gracious. Because I don't know if Lindley needed this, but I sure needed it. But we called the next day for a flight out um, to get us back to America with her. She was in a full body rash, I remember, from head to toe by this point also and I called um, our travel agent who had helped us all along the way such a godsend and like I said maybe Lindley would have been fine to wait a few days medically speaking but my heart was not really okay to wait at all and I called and they had us out that night so we drove to Nairobi that all day that day Lindley and I got on a plane together just the two of us I was praying like crazy that she would not go things wouldn't get worse that she wouldn't have something go really wrong because she was febrile, full body rash, wasn't eating, wasn't eating for three months. I mean, but we got back and then just through emails, I mean, I just had precious, 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 precious doctor friends who were just waiting for our arrival that just had us right in um, immediately. Manisha Sati was our pediatrician. She was like on it the next morning. Um, Jeffrey Karen was an ENT doctor that I'm close with and he would just had her in that day and all these things that they thought, like all the leukemia blood work, no, that came back okay. Then they were worried about like her urinary tract system and, and that maybe she had like a blockage from birth. And so all these ultrasounds were done. All these things that we couldn't dare get access to in Kenya were just happening within 24 hours, you know, here for us. And um, all that came back normal. And that's when Manisha said, I want you to go see Dr. Karen. I think it's her ears. And I'm like, her ears? Oh, my goodness. And remember, we had seen ENT the month before we left because I just knew flying with a little baby like that. 
just wanted to make sure, you know, everything was okay. And he had said everything was okay. So I was like, all right, well, let's go look. And Dr. Karen was like, Farah, I don't know how in the world, but it's her ears. And it's both of them. And it's just so bad that she can't clear it. Okay, that's way better than leukemia. Can, you know, and he took her into surgery. Now, I had left my family and my, my husband back there serving 24-7 at the hospital with my three baby boys, which, again, I never thought I would do. Ever would I leave my children over there. You know, I mean, I had to depend on, like, my Kenyan friends and neighbors to watch my three boys during the day because my husband, you can't not be at the hospital. You can't. We have 120 patients a day. It's not, it's not possible. But Dr. Karen got us in surgery, like, immediately, got tubes in, watched us for one week, and, y'all, within two weeks, we were back. We were on a flight back over um, to Kenya. So I was literally on the ground for, like, two weeks with that baby girl. And I remember getting on that plane with her to fly back, and I was like, the cry, the cry of my heart as a mama is that just that you just keep this baby well for the next two years. Like, just keep her well, Lord. This is, I'm depending on you, and I'm so thankful that you rescued her, and she's okay, but you just keep her well, you know, from here forward. And I can tell y'all that we never had a major sickness again in our family, like all four of our kids. You know, as Lindy said, this month is just a month of plenty. And one of the things that spoke to me is just how blessed we are to live in a country where we have, you know, just such immediate access to health care and to take care of our children. It really spoke to me that, you know, here she was, and she would say this as well, that she had the ability to get on an airplane and fly back to the United States and get treatment for her daughter. And, um, And I think that, you know, on that airplane on the way back, she was probably just overwhelmed with the thought of knowing that she does have the ability to do that. And then for her prayer to keep her children healthy, you know, the rest of the time that she was there, that just really spoke to me of just being so thankful for the ability to have the blessing of health care. You know, along those veins, I was, you know, thinking about what happened to Emmanuel, because she spoke about Emmanuel and her story. And that was one of the questions um, that was asked there at the live gathering as well. And I'm going to tell you what, it's a testimony that yes, we have health care in America, but Jesus is the one who heals. This answer is incredible. Here it is. On a Monday, this child was totally unconscious um, at this point. Very, very low vitals. Hadn't eaten or spoken in days. And Choi started withdrawing care, which looked like taking the antibiotic IV away, taking the antifungal um, away. Of course, he wasn't going to take the child back to surgery again. I mean, and that Monday was also the day that Leah came up to Troy and was like, just almost like an angel, literally. I think she was an angel of the Lord that day when she was just like, this is not yours to bear. This is not your miracle to perform. This is not your child to save. And she just, they just were like on the floor together. She was, she was basically saying, this is what you do. Let me show you what you do. And they just started praying. And the way that they do our, our Kenyan staff are all believers. This is Christian Mission Hospital in the middle of this, you know, rural village. They pray continually. That's that's their survival, it, medically or in life. And it, you just see them. They're surrounding that bed. They're going and doing things. But the whole time, they're just praying for Emmanuel, praying for Emmanuel. But they'll be doing, like, care for another patient. But they're just, it's just like these walking angels just praying everywhere. And not, like, in sorrow, they're play, praying like in hope and in joy, which is, you know, we're over here like desperately crying, you know, and praying. And But that child started to literally recover day by day. He, at this point, had zero intervention from us. 
we weren't doing anything medically. He was laying in a bed, totally unconscious, eyes swollen out to here. I mean, not doing a thing. And that child was getting better day by day as those staff and the doctors that were, were just walking around praying. And by day five, um, that child was awake, talking. The infection was receding. His eye was going back down. I have pictures of this because it sounds it to- sounds totally impossible because medically it really is. But we have pictures of this child along this way. And like by day seven, like he was healed. We sent the child home. We went to his village home, his little mud hut with he, he and his uncle. We even saw him throughout the two years that we were there. And that child is still fine to this day. We titled this story, We Treat Jesus Heals, for this very reason. Again, we live in such a blessed country where we don't struggle, and it's so easy to lean on our medical mm-hmm. world, yeah. really, the, everything around us. And yet, it, and so it's so easy to forget that Jesus is the healer, you know, that at the end of the day, we can try our hardest and the doctors can do their best. But at the end of the day, it's up to the Lord. And what a perspective and what a miracle for them to witness and to walk through and their kids and just how that can shift our faith to see that with our very eyes, to see someone miraculously healed when there was no hope. Yeah. Uh, just the expectations for the rest of your life of knowing what God does yeah. is amazing. Another part of Fair's story that spoke to all of us was just the concept of community and how she found community in Kenya when all she started with was her Bible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so listen to what she says there. And so as we were living through all that and walking those things, we also didn't have that. This is what, this is what I had. <laughs> this is really what I had. <laughs> I mean, this is really what I had. This was it. I couldn't even get a Bible study book over there if I wanted to. I couldn't go to a couldn't go to a bookstore, you know, I couldn't Amazon Prime something. I mean, it was a major effort to get anything over there, which when we did do that, it was only for like real necessity, like medical necessities. We would have those come over in luggage with um, friends and family or visiting doctors, you know, but it was an ordeal to get things that far over there. So, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get my hands on anything like that, much less, you know, just sweet people like Sue Weimer and so many others who built into my life years and years and years. And even just the worship service on Sunday morning, it's unbelievable how much God feeds us in that. Just in the worship, just in sitting there and being in a place where you're known and you feel known. No one knows you there. Your Kenyans don't know you and your missionary family, which is small, they don't know you. (laughs) And yeah, there's not resources or Bible studies or And so I just remember for the first time in my whole journey, you know, since whatever, 13 years old, you know, because I've sang that song thousands of times, you know, you're more than enough, you're more than enough, you know. And I mean, I'm in it, but for the first time I was like, either you are enough or I'm not going to make it. I mean, you're all I have. I don't don't have anything. Nothing else, nobody else can can be my crutch. And so you were, and you alone. Um, And so it was... It was shocking, <laughs> in a good way. 
you know, we've been talking about throughout all of these answers of just the many blessings that we have. And certainly community is a blessing that we are given. But one thing that Farrah reminds us is that Jesus is enough. And he's enough where, wherever you are in your life right now. I know sometimes, you know, Christmas is a hard season for many people. But I hope that her answer there, just recognizing that Jesus is enough. He is enough for you in this moment, in this season right now. And so I hope that you hold on to that as we go into this Christmas season. I know that it really spoke to all three of us. And speaking of Christmas, we are going to be taking a break. Well, hopefully you are taking a break and spending time with family. We're going to do two reposts over the next two weeks that we know you'll enjoy. They were stories that you loved the first time we aired them. And so these will be great to listen to while you're baking or driving around or wrapping gifts. And so if you've listened and want to pass them to a friend that maybe you didn't do the first time around, it's a great opportunity to do that. And also, just to come off of what Lindy said in the beginning, we are so thankful for all of you, our listeners, and we are amazed and incredibly grateful for all God does through storytellers. Every time we get an email or a message of how God has used a story in someone's life, it continues to blow our mind after five years that God brings so much hope through stories. And so we are thankful for you. And again, if you love storytellers and God has used it in your life, and it's something that you want to give to, we are so thankful as God grows this ministry for every dollar that comes. You can just give at storytellerslive.org. Thank you so much for listening today. Have a wonderful Christmas, and we will talk to you with new stories in the new year. Bye.